Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Um, thankful that we are in this new series in the book of Proverbs uh, called Wise Up. And it's been a while since we've preached as a church through the book of Proverbs or significantly stayed there. So I'm looking forward to spending several weeks together as a family in this book. And last week we started um, to look at the book of Proverbs. And the goal of this series really is to let the book of Proverbs speak into our hearts about some key life issues. Proverbs is a practical book. It's, um, it, it's a straightforward, uh, didactic, instructional book that's very clear and very compelling. And this week we come to the subject of words or the use of our tongue. And it just so happens that out of all the practical things that the book of Proverbs deals with, right at the top of things that it talks about the most... Coming in second place is the tongue or the use of our words right behind wisdom. So this is a major theme in the book of Proverbs. The tongue is a painful topic in many ways um, for us to consider. And you know what? Proverbs pulls no punches in how it speaks about the use of words. And to be honest with you, the picture that it paints is quite bleak. Uh, It's not good. What we see is that our tongues are full of poison. Uh, They spew forth all kinds of evil. And it's interesting that Solomon, the author of Proverbs, places how we speak right at the top of things that affect us most in life. In other words, how you speak has a tendency to either make your life or break it. And so the core text for this morning, as Dwayne read, is Proverbs 18:21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now that's serious stuff. Because what it means is that we're really speaking about this morning a matter of life and death when we talk about the tongue. Words are powerful. They're extremely powerful. Uh, They set the course of one's whole life. Uh, If you read James chapter 3, James makes that really clear. And uh, because he refers to the tongue as a bit in a a horse's mouth, a big old horse that a little bit can direct the whole horse. And then he talks about a rudder that guides a huge ship or a spark, a tiny little spark that sets a whole forest on fire. Words are potent. They have the power to hurt. Uh, They have the power to wound and destroy and discredit. And they also have the power to produce great things. They can define, they can explain and shape our existence in helpful ways. So for us to learn how to speak wisely is paramount. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words... The way you speak is actually an indicator to you and to everyone around you how you're doing spiritually. It's a test that reveals your grasp of the gospel and the grace and mercy of God. There's nothing like the tongue in examining or examining the words of a man and the way he speaks to determine just how much grace has really gripped that person. Listen to somebody speak 
And you'll know something about how they view God. Now, the reason why this is important for us to understand is because it's very tempting for you and for me to think or to minimize the importance of words. And this is evident by how much we talk. We're a culture of talkers. We love to talk. Watch the evening news some night and listen to the people as they debate different political subjects. And people love to go on and on and they love to air out their opinions about whatever. And they just go on and on. People are so eager to talk. In fact, they're so eager to talk that they talk over each other. Yeah, I, you know, these guys are just yelling over each other on the news constantly, cutting each other off. And, and we just love to talk and talk and talk and talk. And some people, as you know, have a unique problem with this. <laughs> and so they just go on and on and on and on and on. And you just want to say, is there an off switch on your mouth? I mean, can you just. Can you just silence that thing for a little bit? Or perhaps can you just listen to somebody else? You know, maybe just listen to somebody else for a while. And, and, and we all know people like that. And, and maybe you're not one of those people. And so you're thinking, well, hey, I'm, I'm excused because I don't do that. The fact is, everyone listening to me this morning has a problem with words at some level. The abundance of words, the misuse of words, the impropriety of words, the absence of words when they're necessary. There are people who say too much and people who don't say enough. And both kinds of people are listening to me right now. This is an intensely practical subject. But whatever your tendency is. Friends, all of us need a foundational conviction about how we speak. We need a grid by which we can run all of our speech choices through. James says, if you don't sin with your lips, you're a perfect person. And seeing that there's no perfect people in here this morning, then we all sin with our mouths. And that means we all need help. And to be honest, this is not an easy thing to get victory over. Um, we, we know that by experience. And thankfully, Proverbs gives us a template for making wise decisions when it comes to this area. And uh, we can all work on this. In short, we need to wise up about the use of our words. And so my prayer this morning is that we will take very seriously the power and the impact of our words. And together as a family, as a church family, we'll resolve afresh in the presence of God to get a hold of our tongues. So let's pray and let's ask God for help. Father, you love us passionately. You care about us as your children. And that's comforting for us. It's great to know that you, you want to clean us up. You want to clean up our mouths. You want to clean up our speech. And you want to do that because you love us. So, Lord, set the tone for us this morning with the fact that your correction of us this morning, this corrective sermon... Is, is a loving sermon. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a desire on your part to love us by correcting our careless speech. Lord, give us an open heart to be corrected. Give us a humility that says I'm, I'm wrong, I'm busted, that's right, I do that. 
And then, Lord, give us the power to correct it. And just to be different people, to use our mouths differently. Use this sermon to do that. And as weak as it is, Lord, help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the verse Dwayne read for us, life and death are in the power of the tongue, stresses two things that I want to talk about uh, and for the next two weeks, in fact. It emphasizes, the number one, the killing power of the tongue, which is what we're going to focus on today. And then it emphasizes the life-giving power of the tongue, which is where we're going to go next week. We're going to spend two weeks on the tongue and words. And today, what I want to do is draw our attention to the killing power of the tongue. We live in a world filled with destructive speech. Um, James characterizes the tongue as a world of evil. He says that it corrupts the whole person and it sets, in fact, the whole course of his life on fire. It's amazing imagery in James 3. The tongue is likened to a, a wild animal that can't be tamed. And we know this by experience. All of us have sinned with our mouths. We have seduced with our words. We have stirred up conflict with our talk. We have said too much or we have spoken in haste. We have been reckless with our words. We have gossiped or spoken maliciously about another person. We have been argumentative. We have popped off. We have joked about things that are not a laughing matter. We have betrayed the confidence of others and we have misrepresented the God who made us. And you know what? That's just the start of what we've done with our mouths. We could go on, but the point is words are destructive. They kill This is why it's categorically false to ever say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The the truth of the matter is words are able to reach places that sticks and stones can never go. Words go deep into the soul of a man. In fact, one commentator said this. What is done to you is a very little account compared to what is done in you. Words can destroy confidence, morale, relationships, marriages, and families in way that, ways that sticks and stones can't. Now stop there for a second. Isn't that true? Haven't you seen relationships destroyed by a tongue? Marriages destroyed by a tongue. Parenting ruined and wrecked by By harsh words from a parent's mouth, we've seen all kinds of terrible things happen in relationships and marriages and families. And that's not sticks and stones. Those are words. So the author goes on to say here, the commentator, he says they have words have caused murders, suicides and wars by the score. Words are sparks. They're bombs, he says. That's pretty sobering stuff when you think about it. Now, we know words are destructive, but we also know that not all words are destructive. Clearly, not all words are harmful. So what kind of words are we talking about this morning? I wrote down three, uh, three words that are exceptionally deadly. And I want to take some time and I want to look at each of these. All right. So number one, the first kind of word that's exceptionally deadly is a lying tongue. 
a lying tongue. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. A false witness who breathes out lies. Now, what's a lie? Well, lying is deliberately withholding the truth. It's purposeful deception. It's willful. It's willfully misleading another and God hates it. So what, what should we do about lying? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4:25, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For here's his reason. We are members of one another. Here's a good summary of what uh, what Paul is saying here. Stop lying. Stop lying. Just flat out stop lying. And, And the reason he gives is that we are members of one another. We're the same body. We are unified. We are together. In other words, lying destroys the church. It does. When we lie, we are destroying ourselves And a house divided against itself cannot stand. See, what makes a lie so destructive? You ever thought about this? Why is a lie so destructive? What makes a lie so destructive is that it destroys the very thing that you and I need. A relationship. As soon as you lie to someone. As soon as you hold back a piece of information from them. As soon as you keep a truth from them. You are creating a relational barrier. If we lie to our family, if we lie to our spouse, if we lie to our church by keeping something from them, as soon as we do that, we are, in fact, destroying that relationship. We're harming it. We are we are assaulting that relationship, that friendship. And in essence, when we do that, because we're in a relationship, we're actually destroying ourselves. So if you do that in a marriage, you destroy the marriage. And if you destroy the marriage, you destroy yourself. And if we do that in the church, we end up destroying our relationships in the church and we end up destroying the church. So that's what makes a lie so destructive. We need to wise up about lying. And uh, we're all guilty of this. All of us. It's in our nature to deceive. We, we, We want to give people the impression that we're something that we're not. There's a constant battle going on in your head and in my head between truth and falsehood. And the fact is, we all lie. All of us. And if you're saying to yourself right now, well, I don't lie. You just did. Okay? It's part of our sinful nature. We lie about ourselves and our circumstances and our spirituality. We lie about what we say. We lie in what we don't say. We're really good at what we're what we're good at is kind of approximating the truth, but we fail to center ourselves on the truth. You know, we want to hit all around the truth and talk about things that are, you know, basically true, but we don't want to stand on the truth or come right out and say, this is what I've done. This is where who I am. This is what this is the fact of the matter. We don't want to say that we want to kind of get around the truth. But we're afraid to stand right on it. That, that's what we do. We, we are intentionally vague with people. We are imprecise in our speech. Because, the, to be frank, there's a few things that we'd all like to conceal. Isn't there? 
Aren't there some things that you want to conceal about yourself? I mean, it's part of our old nature. And guys, this is incredibly hard to shake. So can we just be honest with ourselves for the next few minutes? Can we just be honest about our speech? It's crazy that we have to be honest about our tendency to lie. How ironic is that? God wants us to speak the truth. He desires openness and transparency. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said the truth will set you free. And we can make all kinds of application here. I want you to think about this. The thing, you know, I want to say this very personally, speak into your life on this matter. The thing that is keeping some of you from killing that same besetting sin that you struggle with over and over again, or the thing that's keeping you from growing spiritually is your unwillingness to open up and be transparent with someone else. You, you won't open up about your struggle. Man, this is especially a problem for us. Our sisters in Christ can really put us in shame here in a lot of ways because they, they talk. They like to talk. They like to relate. They're emotional. They're, they open up about things. But we, no, we raise the wall. We are closed. We are not going to open up ourselves to another, to another dude. I mean, if it ever happens, it's because you're on a fishing boat somewhere. And, and there's no threat, and it's just you and the other guy, and you can open up a little bit and talk about some stuff. But that, that's ridiculous. If that's the only time we can really get frank with each other, but we're, we're hurting ourselves, men. We are hurting ourselves. I'm so thankful for all the discipleship movement among women, women getting with women, discipling each other in the Lord. But we need some, we need some men time. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage some of us men. Let's step up. Who wants to lead? Who wants to help us get a men's ministry off the ground where we get real with each other about some issues, about our anger, about our pride, about our leadership in the home, about our insensitivity with our wives, about our about our harsh tone, our language, about our parenting and about our our fatherhood, about lust, about any issue in life. Men, we got to get together. And I'm praying that I'm praying that the Lord would be stirring in some of you men a desire to step out and to stop isolating yourselves and to get with some other men. Because the question is, how much longer are you going to live with that sin? How far are you going to have to fall before you get some help? So, friends, it's paramount that we lay down our pride and get some help. It's actually the mark of a godly man or a woman who will say, I, I need intervention. I cannot do this on my own. That, that, you know, that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of great strength. That's really masculine to step up and say, I need intervention. I need it now. And I, I think we, we have some men and women that need intervention on some, on some serious life-besetting sins. Let's get it. Just get it. Go for it. Pursue it. Uh, I was talking to Derek last night. And he's one of the verses that they were thinking through in their time as young men as they were praying was the, the one who endures to the end will be saved. OK. And so the thought and the application that he was taking out of that is Sunday morning sermon is really crucial to enduring to the end, which means if we don't get our speech, our mouth under control, then we're 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 in danger of not enduring to the end. 
See, because the, the mouth can destroy us. So this sermon is crucial in our endurance and our perseverance to the end. It's, it's important that we take hold of this. So let's put it away. And we have good mo- motivation to put lying away. Proverbs twelve nineteen says, The one who tells the truth will endure forever. But the one who lies will last only for a moment. I promise. Isn't that great? Just if you just if you tell the truth, guess what? You're going to endure forever. You lie and it's going to last for a moment. And so I want to endure forever. Don't you? So let's put away falsehood and speak the truth with one another. Well, that's the first word that kills. All right. Here's the second word. Second word that kills. A gossiping tongue. Again, the focus here is on the destruction that it produces within the body of Christ. Uh, Gossip kills the church. Gossip is idle talk about the private affairs of another. It's rumor. It's hearsay. It's chit-chat. And it's deeply damaging. Proverbs 16.28 says, A man of perverse things spreads dissension. And a gossip separates close friends. Boy, haven't all of us seen relationships destroyed by gossip? This this one goes deep, and it's really practical. And that's because gossip separates close friends. It's serious, friends. It's deadly. Gossip's deadly. Okay, it's not some it's not some you know kind of embarrassing thing. Should I share this about this other person or not? You know, but maybe I'll just kind of risk it and share it. No, no, this is deadly stuff. When gossip comes out of your lips, poison's coming out. And if Satan gets his way, he'll divide relationships in this in this church because of gossip. And he has divided relationships in this church because of gossip. And he will divide relationships in this church because of gossip. And my guess is he is right now dividing relationships in this church because of gossip. Tom Askell writes, Tom Askell says gossip is the passing on of information that is not fitting to repeat, even if it's true. I love that. I I think I think that's great. I think he's right, because here's what we think. We think as long as it's true, I can talk about it and see as long as it's a fact. Okay, I verified it. It's a fact. It really did happen. She really did do that. And since I know for a fact that she really did do it. There's corroborated evidence here. I can say it. I can share it with somebody else. And God says, no way. No way. That does not give you the right to say that. But we we are not to do that. Gossip should never be repeated. Is that your conviction this morning? Are you living by that rule? We need to be convicted about our mouth. Friends, the truth is. All of us have a perverse tendency to want to hear gossip. There's just something in us that's attracted to it, isn't it? Just admit it. Come on, admit it. Admit it this morning. There's something in you that wants to hear that little bit of news. It's great. Proverbs 18.8 says. says it right here. And so you can't argue with the word. It says, the words of gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Ooh, that's so good. I love that. I want to hear that. that. That's tasty. We like it. We want the latest morsel of information. And if you know something, here's the fact. If you know something that other people don't know, you're dying to tell it. Yeah. 
And I'm probably dying to hear it. That's the problem. That's the way we are. We like to be in the know. It feels good. You know, you kind of feel like you have a leg up on things. I know things that other people don't know. And isn't it great? I can kind of be the one to say, hey, did you hear about that? I can send that discreet Facebook message. I can send a text message and say, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to, you know. And we, we st- anytime somebody says, no, I'm not, that, that's, that's kind of a warning, you know, because you're starting in on, on, now, I'm not accusing, but I want to tell you that this person's really messed up. That, I mean, think about what we do. It's, it's just messed up how we talk. But the Bible says it's not just those who speak gossip that destroy relationships, but those who listen to gossip. Proverbs 17, 4. A wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. You know, in the 17th century, the Puritans had a little saying um, that has been made popular now. Basically says this, whoever speaks gossip has the devil on his tongue, but whoever listens to gossip has the devil in his ear. Friends, uh, where this type of communication is given or received, it creates death. And we need to help one another with this. You know, it may seem like a minor point, but there's a lesson here that's huge for the health of our church. Okay, listen, let's not talk about other people. Let's not do that. Oh, how I pray that God would get a hold of us on this. Please, let's just, let's just, let's humble ourselves right now and ask the Lord to help us. Let's not talk about other people. Let's talk to people. Okay, here's what I mean. Let's not talk about someone else's faults. Let's talk to that person. That, that's hard to do. One commentary I read this week said this. It's easy and far too tasty on the tongue of our sinful souls to talk about people. But it's hard and often bitter to talk to them. He's right. It's easy to talk about people. But friends, gossip is inappropriate in this church. And it's inappropriate because God says it's inappropriate. That's it. That's the bottom line. God says no to us on this issue. So let's relinquish the thrill of being in the know and relaying some tidbit of intriguing news. Let's relinquish that. Why? Well, just out of anything, number one, out of fear of God, and number two, out of respect for another person's good name. You know? I like Brandon Queen. I don't want to say anything about Brandon, because if I say something about Brandon, it's going to tear him down. Somebody else is going to look at Brandon and say, you know, I had more respect for Brandon than that. Why do we want to tear each other down? So, so let's not do this. My longing for our church is that we be free from gossip. Let's create a culture around here where gossip is awkward. Okay? Where gossip is weird. That, that's what I want. If you're involved with gossip, you ought to feel really, really uncomfortable. That'd be great because Proverbs 26.20 says, Where... This is, this is great. I remember a, a guy coming here, a youth minister, speaking this to our, when I was a youth, and this was always stuck with me, where, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no whisper, contention quiets down. That's how I memorized it. Where there's no wood, a fire goes out, and where there's no gossip, arguments cease. See, the, see how that, if we just eliminate the, the wood, 
if we just eliminate the fuel for the fire here, the healing that comes from that, isn't that great? Isn't that what you want? Let's do that. We can do that. World Harvest Mission uh, produced the curriculum gospel-centered life that we read. Uh, and uh, as care groups, a lot of us went through that. Great stuff. Um, I first heard about this test from Tully and Chavidjian, um, who who was talking about how they had this great test in one of their curriculums. Um, it was it was a test about do's and don'ts with your tongue. OK, now here's the test. It's crazy. It's almost you, you think about it, you say it's impossible. You cannot do this. But I dare you to try it this week. All right. You ready for this? Here's your test. Here it is. A list of don'ts with your tongue and a list of do's. Here's the don'ts that World Harvest Mission gives. Now, for a whole week, imagine this. A whole week. Don't. Don't gossip or complain about anything. I dare you to try this for a day. Don't gossip or complain about anything. Number one. Number two. Don't blame shift. Number three. Don't boast at all. Don't ever boast. Don't, don't ever elevate yourself. Not even subtly. Don't boast. All right? That's the don'ts. Here's the do's. Okay? Speak only good to other people. Speak only good things. Number two, encourage and do not criticize even if criticism is warranted. Just resist the temptation to criticize Number three, admit quickly where you are wrong. Quickly. Almost immediately. Just, oh, I was wrong. Wrong on that. Four, speak of your weaknesses and not your strengths. And now, they say do that for a week. I, I think that's almost impossible. Try it for a day. I, I want you parents, marriages, moms and dads. Teenagers, whatever, try this this week. Do that. Do that test this week. Because uh, you know, it's fasting from bad speech. That's what this is, fasting. Take a fast from bad speech, and you will be amazed at the corruption inside you. Amazed. All right, so that's the second word. Here's the third word that kills. Word three. A harsh tongue. A harsh tongue. Okay, so we've got a lying tongue, a gossiping tongue, and a harsh tongue. Now, that word harsh is intentionally broad. You might be thinking, well, that's kind of a broad category. Yeah, it's broad because I'm using it as kind of a catch-all here for several deadly uses of the tongue. Here's what I have in mind. A harsh tongue is a hurtful tongue. A harsh tongue is a critical tongue. A harsh tongue is an accusing tongue. It's unloving. It mocks. It ridicules. It doesn't care about people's feelings. It's sharp and it's reckless. That's what I mean by sharp tongue, okay? Proverbs 12, 18. Proverbs 12, 18. says this. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Or as the ESV says, rash words are like sword thrusts. You think about that. They're like sword thrusts. If you hadn't have been, I wouldn't have done... I, I was I was never this way before I met you. You're an idiot. I can't stand you sometimes. Sword thrust. Every one of them sword thrust. That's what those are. And think about what we do with our words. 
Galatians 5.15 says, this is, boy, how powerful is this? Galatians 5.15 says, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. We're eating each other up. That's what it's saying. Think about how we bite and devour one another. Let's think about some categories. Okay, here's how we bite and devour number one, one each other. Number one, we bite, we bite, excuse me, and devour one another when we discredit others. You know, this is when we openly complain about someone. This is when we express public frustration about a person or a thing. All right, that, that's a good way to devour a person. And God's word has something to say about it. James five nine says, James five nine. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. I love this. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Isn't that great? It's like the, 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 the reason not to do this is because God's standing at the door. He's watching this. And you know what that word grumble means? Literally, that word grumble is the, the rolling of the eyes. You think about this. Do not roll your eyes against each other, brothers. This is unloving speech. It, it's speech to someone or about someone that's not loving. We roll our eyes at each other. We look down on each other. We openly and carelessly discredit other people. There are people in this room that you regularly roll your eyes at. There are people that we regularly roll our eyes at. They get under our skin. They're like a rock in our shoe. You know, and, and so... You, and, and you roll your eyes at them. And God is reminding us this morning that the judge is standing at the door. He sees. And we need to be convicted about this. Here's another way we devour each other. When we're sarcastic. Sarcastic. Now, at first you think, oh, what's the big deal about sarcasm? You know? I, young people especially have this tendency. Young, young dudes especially. They like to cut each other down with their words. They like to get a laugh at someone else's expense. And I, I've noticed that many times it's motivated by jealousy. It's in order to feel better about themselves, they have to cut someone else down. You know, that's a gospel problem. That's an identity crisis. That's not realizing your position in Christ. In order to feel better, I've got to cut another dude down? Like, that's going to make me feel better? What's wrong with your identity in Christ? See, we're so reckless with our words. And we say, we say, I'm just poking fun. And God says it's not funny. We're reckless with our words. It's just unbelievable. What? What? It was just a joke. Come on. It's all good fun. Chill out. See what we do with our words? God's not laughing. There are no words that are unimportant in the economy of God. Everything you say is a... Of a, is of paramount importance. It matters to God what comes out of your mouth. That's why John Stott says God has given us two ears and one mouth. So that we'll listen more than we speak. Proverbs 10.19 says. Where there are many words. There is much sin. Did you hear that? Where there are many words. There is much sin. The, the more we speak, the more we sin. That, that's just a fact. In one sense, it's a math equation. Here it is. Ready? Words plus words minus listening equals sin. 
Words plus words minus listening equals sin. And some of us speak way too much and we need to get a hold of our tongues. I mean, words are just coming out. Words are just coming out. Words are just coming out. And sin is multiplied. Multiplied. Here's another way that we devour each other with harsh words. When we speak in a cruel and a hurtful way. You may not think that you're guilty of this, but you are. God has invested words with power. That means when you speak, words actually do something. They accomplish something. They have an effect. Okay, Words have results. They always produce something. And words wrongly spoken or angrily spoken, destructively spoken, damage human beings. They damage the souls of men. We hurt people with our words. There are people in this room who have heard words that no human being ever ought to hear. You think about that for a second. That's so sad. That's so sad. Words that are so dark and destructive. You know, words that actually damage a person's identity. They damage the core of that person. Think about an angry mom who grabs her young boy by the hair and pulls it and says, I wish you were never born. What's that going to do to that boy? Pastors sit and counsel 40 and 50 year old adults who are weeping about words that were spoken to them when they were five or six. And they hear those words as if they happened yesterday. It's that fresh in their memories. Parents, what kind of environment are we creating in the home with our kids? What kind of words are being heard? What impression are you leaving them with? What kind of reality are you creating or nurturing with the things that you say and the things that you don't say and the tone of your voice? Are you creating a law-oriented environment in the home? Is your home a factory of legislation where the kids know they're going to be scrutinized and examined and critiqued and they're never going to measure up? Parents, we can do this by the way we emphasize certain things and by the way we fail to emphasize other things. You know, it's always coming down on them. It's always coming down on them. It's a lack of grace. Do your children want to come home to you? After school, because they know grace reigns supreme. Elise Fitzpatrick, read her book, Give Them Grace. Just please read that book, your parent. Please read the book. It's on the bookstall. She says this Give your children grace, dazzle them with the message of Christ's love and welcome. And then when you think that surely they're tired of it, go back and drench them again with it. Steep their parched souls in the good news that in Jesus Christ it's finished. Well, that's our parenting, but what about our marriages? Husbands, does your wife want you to come home after work? Because she feels so loved and cared for by your speech. (laughs) Or is she lonely and afraid because she doesn't know what you're going to say next? Wives, do your husbands even want to come home? Or do they dread it? They're, they're closing out their work day and they're thinking, I've got to come home. Man, because they know that the moment they walk in the door, they're going to have to listen to you complain about all the things they haven't done right. You're never at home. You never help out with the kids. 
You don't work around here. I always have to ask you to do this and to do that. And on and on and on it goes. You know, a husband or a wife just says, if you could just help me a little bit. If you could just give me some grace instead of pounding me all the time. I'm not the wife that you want me to be. I know I'm not the man that you have hoped for. I know. But can you just build me up a little bit? Can you just affirm some of the good things I'm trying to do? Please, please. I just need some grace. Some would say. Let's get it. Let's give grace. Let's say what builds people up. I know it's hard to do. I know it feels impossible with a husband or wife that seemingly never changes. You say, Pastor Jonathan, my husband hadn't changed in 20 years. But even still, God calls you to give grace. It doesn't matter if they haven't changed in 20 years. That's not God's calling you to give them grace anyway. In his book, Water Than Snow, Paul Tripp says this. I just broke yesterday when I read this. I cried. I cried. I was, <laughs> I was reading this section. I thought... So moving. Here's what he says. He says, no shouts, no pointed fingers, no red faced accusations, no bulging forehead veins, no derogatory names, no inflammatory vocabulary, no scary threats, no arrows of guilt, no list of crimes, no hope of trying to do God's work. But instead, Speaking calmly, speaking simply, speaking spiritually, speaking graciously, letting God do what only he can do. Crack the hard shell heart of a man, of a wayward man, and make it feel again. And see again and cry again and pray again and plead again and hope again. This is the harvest of a person of grace giving grace to a man who doesn't deserve grace but won't live again without it. Amen. Isn't that what we need? Grace. Let's be grace givers in our marriages and in our homes and in our church. Well, finally, what kind of culture are we setting around here uh, in the church? Let's talk about criticism. It's so easy to be critical. Here's how it works. We see a problem and it frustrates us. And then we let that frustration get to us until it bothers us so much that we start to publicly complain about how messed up it is. And that's just human nature. We're all like that. Your pastors are like that. So how do you think we're doing as a local church? I'll let you answer that question. How do you think we're doing? This is an important question because when a frustrated or complaining spirit goes unchecked, I tell you what it does. It tends to create a critical and negative environment. And that's not a pleasant atmosphere for anybody. It's not pleasant in your home. So it's not going to be pleasant in the church. And so that means we need to fight for each other. 
We need to constantly consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. To love. Here's what I hope God will work in this. I, ho- I want us to be a church that when a problem is identified, we love to rally around that problem. And with a positive, listen to these words, I've chosen them carefully, with a positive, redemptive heart, work together to find a solution. As we eagerly work together on that issue, let's build each other up. Okay? That's constructive. In every good church and home, there are problems. We, we just expect that, okay? <clears throat> but hear me. While we work on these problems, it is essential that we celebrate the evidences of grace among us. In a good marriage, a husband and wife have to pull away from the struggle and the emotional heartache And with God's help, they have to encourage each other with the gospel. I mean, that's that good marriages function like that. Honey, let's talk about the gospel. All right. We're we're fighting at each other. Can we just pull back and talk about the gospel? There has to be a time when a husband and wife simply enjoy each other as they share in the grace of life. I've had to do that with Tina. We've gotten frustrated with one another. And angry with one another. And we have to pull back and get into the gospel. And remind ourselves of grace. And what God has called us for. And as a church, friends, we need to foster a spirit of grace and forgiveness. Reconciliation and love. A spirit of humility and kindness. And hope that sees past the problems and the difficulties and rejoices in the deep bonds of true friendship in Christ. Are we together or not? Are we all saved in, in, in union with Christ? Are we a team? Are we a mission? Are we a church? Do we have a great cause in this world or not? See, the devil wants to get us to tear each other down because if he can do that, we get distracted from the mission. Okay, this is war, friends. This is war. We're members of one another. God forgive our unloving speech. Let's give each other grace. All right, let's make that the default position. Let's give each other grace. And there's power in the blood of Jesus. He can help us. How many people need grace? All in favor of grace this morning? If, if you're not a Christian, then let me tell you something, okay? In closing, there, there's no point of you trying to work on your speech. This sermon's about speech. There's no point in you trying to work on your speech if you've never embraced Jesus by faith. Here's what you need to do. The first thing you need to do is repent of your sins and trust that Christ died for those sins. He died to restore your broken relationship with God. And as I said a minute ago, there is power in the blood of Jesus to forgive the worst sinners on planet Earth, including you. And Christian friends, here's how I want to pull it together. All right. We need to reestablish some convictions about our speech. It matters to God. As Christians, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that's important because Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's why that's important. This, this really hit me hard this week in my study. I told Jim Golly how this hit me because every time, listen to this, every time we sin with our lips, every time we open our mouths and hurt a brother or tear down a sister, the Holy Spirit in us is grieved. You think about that as motivation. He's saying to us, why are you talking like this? 
This is not how our family speaks. Friends, our mouths hurt and grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you stop and you think about how reckless we are with our words, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? We continue to blow it over and over again, and yet God continues to meet us, and shockingly, He meets us with His grace and not His judgment. Friends, we will continue to struggle with with destructive speech, but listen, listen, here's the hope. It no longer has mastery over us. It's broken. God has broken the power of unloving, critical, harsh, dishonest, and gossiping words in our life. And he did it through Jesus Christ, who faced the harshest of words a human being can ever experience. He was despised and rejected. And this is very comforting for those of us who are looking for new power and a fresh initiative to conquer our sin. Because when we go to Jesus for help, we are going to the only one who gets it, to the one who actually conquered sin. So you want help with words? Take hope. Because Jesus' intention is to renew the very places in your life where the damage of sin has taken place. Our Redeemer is working to radically renew and rebuild our sin-damaged areas, including our heart and our mouth. So that they produce life instead of death. He's at work in you. Jesus died to redeem you from sin and all of its effects. I've got to declare something to you. Your mouth is free. Your mouth is free. It's no longer the devil's. It's God's mouth. So use it for him. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we, we are thankful for the correction of your word. And we welcome the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, forgive us for the ways that we grieve you. Stir within us fresh conviction about words. Lord, we want to bless others. We want to give grace. We want to build others up. So help us to resolve this matter and not to carry it forward for weeks and months. But give us grace to begin afresh today and to change our speech. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.